Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is, is your current business model sustainable? What a perfect topic considering our market. I have the perfect expert to share his wisdom on this topic, and this is Jim Deitch. Jim is well-known within our industry. He's an icon. Previously, Jim was president and CEO of five banks in his career. He's currently the co-founder and head of Terra Verte, a capital markets and financial technology company. You might know Jim from his writings. He has several books in mortgage banking. His most recent was Strategically Transforming the Mortgage Banking Industry. Hi, Jim. Pat, good afternoon. Great to be with you. Well, Jim, before we jump into the key question that we're talking about today, talk about how did you get into banking and mortgage banking? You know, I never thought I'd be in mortgage banking. I started my career as a CPA and then was in the manufacturing capital market side. And a friend of mine said, hey, we've got this bank. It's got some issues. Do you want to be CFO? And five months later, I was CEO. I loved it. It was engaged in mortgage banking, and I never looked back. And that was you know, 30 plus years ago. So I'm an accidental mortgage banker, as are many. Well, I can relate that out one myself for sure. So, and I think you're exactly right. Many people have similar entries into our business. But since you've been in so many different facets within our business and you're currently on the consulting side with your firm and you're involved with capital markets and uh, technology, talk about what the challenges that you see uh, that mortgage bankers should be addressing, but maybe not. Well, you know, Pat, that's a great question, and I'll give you two data points to frame the answer. In 2019, the industry funded 4,365,000 purchase loans, and it cost about $7,500 per loan to originate, and the industry was profitable. So that's 2019. 2022, we did almost an identical number of purchase mortgages, 4372000 but the cost to close a loan went from $7,500 to $12,450. These are MBA's numbers. And the industry was unprofitable. If a mortgage banker is looking at the purchase business as being the lifeblood of our industry, which it is, how can we do exactly the same amount of loans in 2019 on the purchase side as we did in 2022? and have our costs go up 50% and our profits go down to, to below zero. And some people will say, Jim, you, you forgot about refis, but that's my point. You have to really make your business run on the available purchase business or it's not sustainable. Well, that certainly is a great point. And I can't uh, emphasize it myself as better as you have, because it does make you wonder with the big question, if you can only make money during a refi market, then what if you'd have to really do some serious thinking about what business are you really in? And so I'm glad, Jim, that you brought that up. When you look at the remainder of 2023, how do you see this playing out? You know, Pat, that's a great, another great question. I, I, I talked with, with two uh, luminaries in the business, one being Mike Fratitoni from the MBA, and the other being Doug Duncan, who's chief economist for Fannie Mae. And they both feel that in this year, the remainder of 2022, by the end of the year, 
we will have done roughly 4,400,000 purchase units, which is about the same as 22 and about the same as 2019. So the purchase business is there. So how does one really convert the business environment that each individual lender is working with into a profitable, sustainable business going forward? And I've been focusing a lot of research on that. And I think that's the topic we're going to get into. Well, that's a great lead-in. Let's talk about this topic. Uh, is the current business model sustainable? Uh, share your thoughts. The question is, this is an individual question that if you're a lender, an owner of, of, of a lender, an executive of a lender, an originator within a lender, you have to ask yourself, is this model I'm working in sustainable? And if not, what can I do about it? So the definition of a sustainable business model is really pretty simple. And that definition is your costs and the profit. And that's the most important part. Your cost and the profit you want to earn has to fit into the available revenue. And our industry is struggling with, we ramped ourselves up to take care of the purchase business plus the refi volume that added on in 20 and 21 due to the COVID boom, but we haven't yet really returned to normal. So one would expect that once the refis fell away, which they did, we get back to that 7,500, $7,800, $8,000 cost point to do a loan, but we're at 12,450. So the costs, Notwithstanding the profit, there's no profit that fits into the available revenue because volume shrunk and margins have shrunk, yet our costs haven't followed suit. So that sustainable model has to be that introspective look at how you get your costs and the profit you want to earn to fit into the available revenue. Now, it sounds easy. In practice, it's quite difficult. So, Jeb, talk about when you look at the data, and the data shows clearly that our costs are somewhere around roughly 65% is personnel cost. And this goes back to the fundamental issue about is the sales model really set up correctly with a model that is so personal driven, and yet we, when it comes to a purchase market, it really is glaring that we have a lot of people that can't sell. We have really two parts of that cost piece, Pat, and mm -hmm. I think the first, first element is if you have individuals that really can't sell into the referral community, meaning realtors, builders, financial planners, et cetera, that's a problem in of itself. But before I get 300 emails from originators, <laughs> all, all filled with hate language, a good originator is worth their weight in gold. Right. Let me repeat that. A good originator is worth their weight in gold. That 68% personnel cost is interestingly spread about half to sales cost and about half to operational and overhead cost. So it's not being driven primarily or only by the cost of sales. Is a large part of this in the fact that we don't deploy automation. We don't uh, deploy all of the tools that we have that could be cost-saving and make people more efficient. 
And we just don't do that as an industry. And we haven't done it as an industry because that 68% of compensation being in the cost to originate has been the same going back to uh, 2012 when MBA began to segregate this data in a way that I could track mm -hmm. it. So this is not a new issue. So the first thing we have to do is look around on the operational and overhead side and say, we've got to get way more efficient there. So that's the first piece I'll set that aside because you raised the question of the value of a good mortgage loan originator. There's research out, some of it most recently coming from ICE, some of it from my friends at Stratmore, some of it from the MBA that says that there is very little desire when someone is going to purchase a home to do it 100% online. They want to talk to a knowledgeable, effective, affable, and available sales personnel, salesperson that can guide them through the process and that helps them make those decisions that they need to make when trying to buy a home, afford it, and then enjoy it. But I think you said it, we've lost in many cases the thought of it's really hard to be a good salesperson, really hard. For sure. That's certainly in my wheelhouse because I've been involved with it for a long time where we identify the personality traits. And then, of course, we've been involved with training. And so it does raise this issue that the mechanism within mortgage banking is to heavily weight to more experienced originators and therefore under the premise that we can't really develop or we're not willing to put that investment, which leads to us circling around going after a smaller and smaller number of, of folks. And then that ties together with some of those folks are certainly resistance to or some aren't, are, are resistant to technology adaptions. Uh, do you see that? Pat, absolutely. I, I, I think you, you've hit a couple of really great points there. And, and let me just kind of break, break my thoughts down and mm -hmm. love to have you push back. The first is that there is a resistance on the part of some of the professional originators to change the method to adopt the technology, whether that's using direct source data coming from something like Form Free or Finicity, whether it's to fully um, utilize uh, the ability for consumers to exchange documents through technology, whether it's simply using that technology to, is to, to get just what you need to get that loan approved, there is some resistance there. And I think some of it goes to wanting to control the transaction. Uh, some of it is perhaps just not wanting to trust the technology. But as an industry, we really have to get over that. And to the greatest extent possible, use that technology, that direct source data in particular, uh, to make the consumer experience faster, easier, and to get the loan through. So that's, that's the first piece. The second piece of this is I am shocked at the number of originators that I've encountered in the last year when I just ask them something like, tell me about a 2-1 buy down. And this was before rates really rocketed. It was things were just starting to go. And a significant percentage of the originators looked at me like, what's a 2-1 buy down? And 
the lack of product knowledge, the lack of how to structure, the lack of really understanding just the differences between Freddie and Fannie as it relates to student loan debt, to disputes on credit reports, on construction financing, all those nuances are the stock in trade of what a great originator really brings to the table. And to some degree, it's hard to learn. But if we don't continually improve our knowledge base, whether an experienced originator or just someone getting in, it's a huge detriment, not only to our industry, but to that individual originator. Imagine what it would be like to go into a doctor and say, hey, I have these symptoms. And the doctor looks and says, you know, take two aspirin and call me in the morning. It's not going to be that stock solution. It's not just as simple as, as pushing a refinance out the door. To be that trusted advisor, you have to have the educational component and the knowledge base to really solve all of the issues that a customer comes up with. Well, it's a great point. And I was going to raise the issue, and this goes back to something both you and I would know since we've been long-term people in our mortgage banking world, is that the the average age, you've heard this quoted so many different times, is that we have really a systematic issue of failing to bring in new people, younger people into our business. And the technology resistance, I think, sometimes becomes almost an age-related. Obviously, it's not always, but certainly it does dovetail when the originators are older and you're trying to actually make changes, and that's always difficult. Another great point that you made some of it's structural because the way we compensate originators is such that you can earn a very, very good income. And the expectation for people entering the business is, hey, I can earn a really good income. And if you happen to come in the 19, you know, if you happen to join the industry in June of 2020, you had it easy. And you right. thought as an originator, man, this is great. I'm making six figures many times over. And people are coming to me, I don't have to do anything and I really have to understand because if I can't get it to work, I'll just move on to the next one. Well, there's a scarcity of those borrowers. That's 6 million borrowers that were trying to crash through the door in 2020 and again in 2021 to refinance are now all refinanced. So that it really becomes that feast or famine and that sustainability that we talked with respect to a lender's business model also has to be looked at by an originator. And if your business is 90% of your book is refinanced, you are now starving. And now you're trying to play in this market when the skill and experience is necessary and you haven't gained it. And that's really hard. And some of the frustration is really hard because it's, it's tough to learn when you're trying to eat. Go ahead, Pat. No, you're good. That's a great point. And it does lead to the structural, another structural point that I see is that when the industry moved to a producing manager structure, which has happened obviously back starting in the 90s or whenever, it puts all the emphasis on that person to be the recruiter, uh, to produce themselves, uh, to also train and develop people. You are asking those individuals to do a lot. And, and it seems to me that some of these structural issues tie together that even when it comes to training and, and, uh, and really uh, improving your skill set, it's left at that level and the lender 
um, provides some of it, but it was really left at the field level. It, it is left at the field level and, and some of the structural elements in our industry encourage it to be left there. Mm-hmm. I mean, National Mortgage News and, and, and Scotsman produce the tables of you know the top 400 originators mm-hmm. in the country. And you know, I admire the people that do that kind of business, but no one individually does $600 million of business. They have a team, right? but if, if you don't develop that team in a way that ultimately they can be self-sustainable, then we've limited the number of competent people being developed, but it's not in those originators, those producing managers interest to make those individuals self-sustainable. Because if they really become good, they may say, you know what, I'll go be a producing manager. It's an unnatural benefit. It's not a benefit. It's an unnatural characteristic of our industry that we really have structurally put in place a mechanism to hold people from becoming fully able to be totally competent originators. And it's, it's just, it's a strange phenomenon. It, it is. And it ties together with the idea that if I make this investment, and I see this all the time. So if I make this investment, they're going to leave me. I mean, I'm sure you've heard that before. And so it, it leads to this world, they're going to leave you anyway, because you really aren't bringing a lot to the plate as far as their personal development. And then when you overlay, the younger generation does want that development. And that's not something that easily is given within mortgage banking. What are your thoughts on that? It's a two-pronged issue, and I think you, you teed it up. And let's start with the, the, the people earlier in their career that are joining the industry. When you begin in this business, our industry has so many idiosyncratic issues arising from RESPA and all of the regulation layered upon, layered upon, layer on layer, that when you look at this business, you almost get bewildered because you say, well, I think we could do that. Well, no, you can't because of this. And and the answer so often is there's so many nuances and so many requirements. You know, when you if, when I got in the business, the Fannie Mae guide was about 650 pages, which at that point was still a lot. It's over 1,200. Yeah. And the Freddie Mac guide was 600 pages. It's over 1,000. You have to know those guides inside and out. In some degree, or to some to some degree, when I got in the business and I asked a question, you know, the person I worked for handed me the guide and said, go figure it out. And you went through the guide and you figured it out. And if you weren't sure, you called an MI rep or you called your Freddie rep or your Fannie rep or your correspondent. Mm-hmm. And you did that research and you acquired that knowledge. Even though we have all of this at our fingertips through the web, there's a there's a reticence to go through and have someone actually do the research and understand the nuances. Because once you do the research and understand the nuance, you're building that skill set. And we don't necessarily do that. At the same time, to your point, producing managers are really about recruiting, recruiting, and recruiting. Right. And and producing, producing, and producing, and developing isn't on that list because there is a fear that if you develop someone, they'll become your competition. But if you develop them to become a mentor and always kind of pushing them along and helping them, then you develop that loyalty and you develop the likelihood that that individual will stay and perhaps even join in helping you recruit 
and and building your business. But it is a it is a two-edged sword. Well, that is for sure. And that leads to my next question. And we talked about the remainder of this year, but if you put on your visionary goggles and look at the next five to 10 years, and I know that's obviously a long time frame, but talk about how do you see, is the structure in our business going to stay relatively the same? Do you think there'll be fundamental structure changes? Will it be obviously a lot less competition because a lot of the merger and acquisitions? How do, how do you see the industry looking from going, you know, uh, out to the next decade? Well, the next decade, I think, has uh, the potential to be very, very fruitful for our industry. Depending on the numbers you look at, Pat, there's 5 million housing units short, uh, which means there's a lot of opportunity to do building. And the average age of a home that's in the housing stock according to, I think it's it's Fannie Mae, is somewhere around 27 or 28 years. And there's some statistic, and don't hold me to being exact, but 60-some percent of the housing units out there were built before 1980. Mm -hmm. So the rehab market, the rehab market is also very strong. But that means we need to understand how to do construction, how to do rehab, how to work with borrowers that don't have a large down payment. Mm -hmm. and, but, but the fundamental demand for purchase business is there. We're going to be looking at 4.6, 4.8, 5.0, 5 5.3 million units a year. That's a lot of units. And that, that's going to continue to increase. And I base that on the Fannie and Freddie and, and some of the other forecasts I've looked at. The challenge with our industry is it's so heavily regulated that innovation is so difficult. Loan officer comp holds us back. The, the fact we only have two major sources for conventional and government funding to go to just two investors, so the innovation and in product holds us back. There's so many regulatory impediments for innovation that that's the one thing I worry about is, is how do we innovate in a business that gets more and more regulated every day. Well, that's certainly the big question for sure. Do you see the depositories or do you see the independent mortgage bankers? How, how do you see that playing out for the different types of, of businesses? So the, you know, the independents have, have really done a great job with first timers, with uh, the Govy programs, be the FHA, VA, rural. Uh, down payment assistance, all those things to help people to get into houses. That's the entrepreneurial spirit of the independent mortgage banker. And I think that will continue. The depositories have been punished so severely by the regulatory community since the beginning of 2003, 2004, that, uh, you know, Jamie Dimon from Chase just says, Hi, we don't want to be in this business. It's just mm -hmm. not profitable. It's got too much risk. Wells Fargo's leaving the correspondent business. So, I think the independents will continue to play a, a, a good role in this, but there is opportunity for community banks, for credit unions uh, to really look at this business and say, we can serve our members or our, our customers, not necessarily have to do it at the scale of a, of a city or a Chase or Wells, but there's a lot of opportunity for people that just look forward and say, Number one, how can I have a sustainable model, meaning my cost and profit have to fit into the available revenue? And that will inform on how to build your business and how to build where you're trying to compete. 
And then the investment in people, Pat, the investment to bring people in and train them effectively. It, it's much easier, in, in my view, to train loan officers and operational people the way you want to conduct your business and get them trained to use technology, get them trained to use the types of products that you offer. And in doing so, you're building that loyalty because when they adopt technology, when they adopt your particular methodology, they get used to your systems, it becomes a lot harder to just get up and leave if you have that effective technology in place and you are focusing on the purchase business. So my advice and what I think is there is the volume will be there, the opportunity will be there, the ability to create a profitable business model that's sustainable will be there. And it's up to us really to say, we make the investment in training, we make the investment in looking at our business model, will we be bold enough to build that sustainable model? And if so, I think the future is super bright for not only the mortgage bankers that are in this industry, but for those who are yet to join, yet to come, and yet to have success. Well, Jim, I think that's excellent words of wisdom to leave our listeners. And I just wanted to ask, is there anything else that we only have a couple minutes left that you would like to share? Pat, I, I, my father always said, leave a little bit early and people will be happy. So I think we've covered the topic. <laughs> well, I, I agree with that one for sure. And so I want to thank you, Jim, for joining us. And I want to thank our listeners. I certainly appreciate you spending time with us. Thanks so much, Jim. Pat, thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us. If your sales team needs training in hiring and lead generation, schedule a free consultation by emailing me at psherlock at qfsconsulting.com.